Welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. You know, there are times when God calls us nearer to Himself. Maybe a more appropriate way to say that, there are times when we are very much aware that God is calling us nearer to himself. I don't believe there's ever a time that God's like, hey, would you get away from me? That's not, that's not contextual to what I'm trying to say today. That's not how God works. God is always to us drawing nearer to him. But there are certain times and places in all of our lives where God comes to us and he begins to pull us closer to him. Not just individually, but he also does that as a congregation. He brings us together as a congregation. As, as we grow in unity with each other and we grow in the culture of who are, we are as a church, he, he pulls us nearer and closer to him. It's never really at our deciding, it's never at our beckoning that we have those moments. It's just when God shows up. Moses didn't wake up one morning and be like, you know what? It'd be an awesome day to have a burning bush experience. He had no clue. It was out of the ordinary. It was extraordinary. It was a unique moment in time for him. I don't think Noah woke up one morning and said, man, I've been having this, this weird craving inside of me to build something. I just need some direction on what it is I need to build. And lo and behold, the Lord tells him to build an ark that day. I don't think... I don't think he's like, yes, Lord, that's exactly what I've been wanting to build. It wasn't Noah's idea to build an ark. It was God's idea to build an ark. And so there are times in our lives that God begins to call us nearer and closer to him. And he interrupts our lives. He interrupts our normal with the intention of creating a new normal, a new expectation in our life. And I think that's a little bit of what God's been doing here at LifeSpring Church because we've been growing inward together in unity. And as we become more unified, that creates an opportunity for us to draw nearer to God. One ministerial friend of mine once said it this way. He said, you can't really tell Jesus you love him because it's really not true for us to say, Lord, I love you. What we really have to say is, Lord, I love you too. Because he loved us first. He did it all first. When I was unlovable, he loved me. Even at times in my life where I had problems myself loving, he still loved me. And man, I'm thankful for that. And so that's what draws us to him is because he's already done it. He's asking us and pulling us closer to him. And every time he calls us to be nearer and closer to him, he asks us to surrender. And that's his process of us getting closer to him and drawing nearer to him. And that song today just really spoke to my heart. And I think it speaks to where we are as a congregation. And we're going to pray a prayer here in just a minute together. But with, when we're singing that song, Open the Blind Eyes, Unstop the Deaf Ears. And I got thinking, 
Everybody here can see. Thank the Lord. Everybody here can hear. Some of us better than others. Well, some of y'all better than others. But we can all hear. Maybe this song isn't for the physical. Maybe this song is beyond the physical. Maybe this song is for the spiritual. Lord, open our blind eyes so that we can see and have new revelation and new understanding. Lord, open our ears so that we can hear your word when it's spoken to us. Was it not Jesus who said, he that hath an ear, let him hear? Not let him hear my voice speaking, but let him hear the depth and the revelation and the context of his word. So I wonder if you would join me today. I want us to pray this prayer. Lord, give us revelation and give us understanding today. Would you pray that with me this morning? Lord Jesus, Lord, I come to you today and I pray if there is any today whose eyes have been, been blinded by worldliness or blinded by, Lord, just pop culture, religion, Lord. If there's any eyes that have been blinded from anything in your word, I just pray that you would give us clear vision today. Give us clear eyesight to see your word. If there's any ear today, Lord, that's been heavy, it's been blocked, it's been clogged, Lord. If it's been locked up, Lord, if offense has locked up somebody's ear, I pray that you would release them from their offense today and give them healing. Unlock their ear today to hear the word of God. I thank you for it, Lord. I pray revelation would be here today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. So we're in a series, and we've been going through the threefold cord of apostolic identity. I'm cautious today to make too many promises, but last week we had three points to get through, and we only got through two of them. So my intent today is review and one point. We'll see if that happens. <clears throat> Threefold cord of apostolic identity. So, apostolic identity simply means we want to be identified with the apostles. Apostolic means apostle like. We believe what the apostles believe. Why do we believe what the apostles believe? Because they walked for three and a half years. In the footsteps of Jesus Christ. They heard his teaching firsthand. It wasn't so-and-so said, so-and-so said, so-and-so said, so-and-so said. It was Jesus told me personally. And so I'm telling you what Jesus said. So we want to be like the apostles. And so we believe the apostles' doctrine. And we want to identify with those doctrinal truths in scripture, and that's what we've been talking about, the doctrinal truths of Jesus Christ. Let's go to our key verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. It says, and if one prevails against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You could take a single thread a single strand and of of thread and you and I could hold it and just real quick we could just snap it 
And you begin to take multiple threads and you bind them together and you create a single cord out of those threads and it can resist some pressure. Probably not a lot. If you get a, a single cord put together, we could probably break it if we put our efforts into it. But you then take two more cords and you then wind those three individual cords together and you make a rope. You can anchor a ship. You can tie a ship to the dock. You can hook up a, a team of mules or a team of horses and you can pull a plow. You can strap down a load. And if you're a manly man, you'll flip that string and listen to it go. You'll say, that ain't moving. Threefold cord tightly wrapped together is not easily broken. So we're going through talking about the three-folded cord of apostolic identity. The first was the singularity or the oneness of God. Second was the new birth, and that is what we're going to finish talking about today. You can be seated. We'll dig into this a little bit more. The new birth experience is being obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul lays out the gospel of Jesus Christ to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Here's what he tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which ye are saved. And if you keep in memory that what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in faith. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. And then he begins to tell us the gospel. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. How that he was buried and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And as we pointed out last week, it's not taking those three events in the life of Christ and seeing how we can theologically make them fit into our culture. We don't get church fathers together to take those three events in the life of Jesus Christ and let them write quote-unquote, good theological statements about it, or creeds. But we go all the way back to the Holy Scripture, and we let the Scripture define to us what does death, burial, and being risen again in Christ mean. And so the death of Christ is in similitude to us going through repentance. Repentance is where we die out to Christ. Next, and just as Christ was buried in a tomb, we are buried in the waters of baptism. This is the burial likeness of Christ. And today we are going to dig into what does it mean to be risen again with Christ. To obey the gospel is prescriptive. 
it's laid out for you. It's following a plan. Two times in Scripture, the Bible says, work out your own salvation. Peter preached it on the day of Pentecost. Paul reiterated the idea that salvation was our personal responsibility. But the context of both of those instances in Scripture is not that you and I get to sit down with our notepad and our theological mind and come up with our own doctrine. They were not saying, neither of those apostles, neither of them were telling us that it is your responsibility to figure out how to be saved. But the context of those statements are, it is your responsibility personally to be obedient to the gospel. I can't save you. Nobody sitting in a pew next to you or across the aisle from you here today has the power nor authority to save you. We've been pretty honest in these lessons. Hold on. My mom can't save me. My grandma can't save me. My ancestors can't save me. Salvation is an individual, personal responsibility between me and God. And it's not left to me to figure out how to be saved. The responsibility is for me to be obedient to what God has laid out in His Word by Scripture to be saved. And so when we say salvation is prescriptive, it's individually my responsibility, and I just have to be obedient to his word. Could I tell you it's as easy as baking a cake? I had a co-worker that I worked She was my boss for a little while, and she was an incredible baker. And she could bake the greatest stuff. And I, She lived in St. Louis, and I lived in Kansas City, and so... We weren't together all the time, but she would oftentimes travel, and she would bring baked goods. And so I was always excited when the boss came to the office. <clears throat> Some people get nervous when the boss shows up, but when she came, it was a glorious day. She was bringing baked goods. One time she made a statement, and you know, I always gave her a hard time when she retired, and she actually did retire Last year, I don't know that she's followed through on this, but I gave her a hard time and said, you know what? You should open a bake shop. You should open a, a store where you sell goods. I mean, this stuff is addicting. Delicious. In one of those conversations, she made the comment, well, I'm not a very good cook, but I can bake stuff. I can bake stuff because it has a recipe, and if I just follow the recipe, it works. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to be ingenuitive. You don't have to like, I wonder how many spices of this I should really put in. And you don't have to create a recipe if you're, quote, unquote, cooking. Baking, don't put an extra cup in, just what it says. It doesn't need an extra egg. Just read the instructions, follow the instructions, and it will come out right. This is how it is with the gospel. It's easy. You don't have to be creative with the gospel. Just obey what the word says and what the scripture says, and it'll all work out in the end. Then he gives us the recipe, and all of the ingredients are required 
What good is a gooey butter cake if it has no butter? You're going to have yourself some sticky flour. But you put in that butter in that gooey butter cake, and you'll have friends for a lifetime. If you'll just do and apply the gospel to our lives and be obedient to it and allow the ingredients of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection to be applied to our lives, you can live out the gospel plan. So the third ingredient that we're getting to today in the new birth or the obedience to the gospel is that of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, or you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The Lord's already begun dealing with me about a theme, a focal point for 2024. And, and I'm going to give you just the smallest little drop of hint today. Acts 1 and 8 says you shall receive power to be a witness. He empowers us to go demonstrate God to those around us. The power to be a witness. And it's by God's power that he moves upon us. So if we want the power of God working in our lives, it comes to us through the infilling and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. 1 Corinthians 6 and 14. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. Now there's two aspects of the infilling of the Holy Spirit that I want to talk to us about today. And we may flip context back and forth a little bit as we go through the bullet points. But this, this conversation about power is, is in two contexts. First, according to Scripture, and we'll get there, it takes the infilling of the Holy Ghost for us to be physically quickened at His return, to be brought alive at His return, and to be taken up with Him in the rapture. That's our word, and the catching away of the church is the biblical language. Secondly is... The infilling of the Holy Spirit makes us alive in a place that we have been dead. And obedient to the gospel makes us dead in a place that we had been alive. You with me this morning? You guys are quiet. Everybody's on the edge of their seat. What's he going to say today? The new birth experience is designed to let an old life die in repentance and to be buried in baptism. And then we literally get a new life in Christ by the power of His Spirit infilling us. 
It feels good to be in the presence of God and to be influenced externally by His Spirit. But there's something beyond the external influence of God's presence and God's Spirit. It's multiple times beyond those singular experiences where His presence is around us and externally influencing us. It's the perpetual presence of God, His always near to us presence when He infills us. You don't just walk into and experience His power, but you get to live with His power always with you. There's something powerful about being filled with His Spirit. I draw the distinction today because there are many places you can go today and God's presence moves. You can feel His presence. You can feel His Spirit. God's going to respond to whoever praises Him. A couple Wednesday nights ago, Trenton taught us the difference between praise and worship. Anybody can praise God. You don't have to be good to praise God. You can be the vilest of sinners and praise God. You could just be despicable and still praise God. And God responds to praise. If you've got breath, praise the Lord. And God's presence is going to be there. He responds to that praise. But that's just an external influence on us. How powerful and beautiful it is when His Spirit comes to live inside of us. And we're not just in the presence of the living but he comes inside of us and he makes us a part of the living. Jesus was put to death on a cross. This was the act of men. Jesus was removed from that cross, wrapped in burial clothes, and placed in a tomb. He was buried as an act of mankind. But on the third day, Jesus Christ resurrected from the tomb. There was no man involved in his resurrection. It was simply, purely, and only the act of God that rose him from that grave. And so it is with us. It is an act of ourselves when we surrender to God through the death of repentance. It is an act of our flesh and ourselves when we walk into the waters of baptism and we're buried in the water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. But there's something that happens when the Holy Ghost comes. There is no act of man that causes us to be filled with His Spirit, but it is the divine moving of God upon us to come and indwell us and to live with us and His power resides in us. It is a move, a divine move of God in our lives. Here's what Romans 8 and 11 tells us. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So if I want to be made alive again, I need his spirit living inside of me. That word, quicken. It's not about being fast. It's not about the speed of your reflexes. 
It's not how fast you can run the 40 meter dash. It's not how quick a mom can grab a spilled cup before it hits the floor. Some moms are pretty quick. That's a mom skill. But this quicken has a different context. This quicken is about being made alive. For all adults, I'm going to give you a physical explanation of quicken. For all adults. When part one and part two come together, and a single cell is now empowered to split into two cells. The conception of life. Either part by itself is dead. But when those two parts come together, they quicken and life is formed. At that moment, a single cell now has the instructions, the ability to become two cells, and four cells, and eight cells, and a baby, and a living, breathing child. This is the moment of quicken, when it becomes alive. This is what the Holy Spirit does to us. When he moves on us, when we are filled with his spirit, our soul which has become dead because of our trespasses and sin. The Bible says we are born in sin and shapen in iniquity. Our soul is dead to its relationship with God because of sin and the curse of sin. Repentance allows us to be forgiven and us to make a commitment to walk away from the curse. Baptism allows all the residual effects of the curse that's in our lives to be washed off of us and to be made clean. But you don't become alive until the Spirit of God moves upon you and quickens you again. When did the human soul become alive to begin with? Its first life came when God breathed on them and they became a living soul. It takes the breath of God. It takes the spirit of God moving on us to make us alive in him. When Jesus moves on us by the power of the Holy Ghost, he quickens us to new life. The curse on Adam and Eve was that they would die. They ate the fruit and they were still breathing. Was God's promise of death a lie? No. They lost their connection with God. For they were driven from the place of communion with God. An angel was set to keep anybody from going back into that place of communion with God. And it wasn't until the power of the Holy Ghost was poured out that a soul which was born now dead to its relationship with God is now born again and given new life in Jesus Christ. It is by the power of His Spirit we can freely have relationship with Him. This is the beauty of being filled with the Holy Ghost. Jesus rose from that grave in a glorified body. 
There will come a day when we will receive our glorified body. It's when we are caught away with the church and we meet those who have gone on before us in the air. And we meet Jesus Christ in the skies and we forever go to live with him. But there's something about the outpouring and the moving of his spirit on us. When you mention infilling of the Holy Ghost, and some here today probably have already gone where I'm about to mention. Oftentimes in a Pentecostal or an apostolic church, every time the word Holy Ghost is spoken, people's brains automatically go to, well, yeah, he's talking about speaking in tongues. Can I tell you today, speaking in tongues is like 3% of the Holy Ghost. I'm not discrediting it. I'm not doing away with it. Give me a few minutes. I'm going to preach on it. But if the only thing you think the Holy Ghost is, is speaking on tongues, we've missed the boat. We've misunderstood what the Holy Ghost is. Speaking in tongues is a moment of evidence that the Spirit has come to us. But the Holy Ghost is not speaking in tongues, and speaking in tongues is not the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is God's Spirit coming to live inside of us. When His Spirit lives inside of us, we are made alive in Him. This is the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Life, life, life. If you feel like your soul is dead today, what you need is an infilling of the Holy Spirit. If you feel like your spirit is struggling to live and survive, what you need is an infilling of the Holy Spirit today. I wish I had the ability today to give all of us an unsatisfied hunger for the infilling of God's Spirit. I wish I could give us today a hunger that went beyond our pride. I wish I could give us a hunger that went beyond our our cares and concerns about those around us. I wish I could give us a hunger that went beyond the theological debates that rage in our world today. If I could just become hungry for His Spirit, I would seek Him. I would draw near to Him. I would come close to Him. And speaking in tongues wouldn't even be a matter of discussion because my heart would be so hungry for the peace and the joy and the life that comes comes through his spirit I want to be alive in him I want to be alive in him he said except you dwell in me and I dwell in you you are not one of his I want to be his child and I know I'm his child when he dwells in me not just around Speaking in tongues is the supernatural sign that God has come to live inside of you. Let me give you a practical example. You can walk outside and look at the tire on your vehicle. And it doesn't take Sherlock Holmes and Watson to figure out the tire's flat. It's a physical evidence, tire's flat. How do I know when that tire is properly inflated? You don't just 
putting the air compressor on there, the, the air, whatchamacallit, just start pumping air. I had an uncle that did that. He's working in his shop. He's replacing a tire in his shop. You know, the, the thing you're listening for is when that, the rim, that bead of the tire pops into the edge of that wheel. That's when you know the tire is properly seated. He's putting air in it. I don't remember the exact numbers, but he's 30 pounds, hasn't popped into place. 40 pounds, hasn't popped into place. 50 pounds, hasn't popped into place. You know, it says max air pressure right there on the side. <laughs> 60 pounds, it hasn't popped into place. If I remember, and it was 90, 100 pounds, somewhere up in that area, he's pumping this thing full of air. He's three times beyond what it's supposed to be. And the next thing he realizes is it explodes. He loses about half of his ring finger. I think it was on his right hand. Leaves a, the wheel left a circle imprint in the concrete floor of his shop. The power of that explosion. That's not how you fill a tire with air. Neither do you stand back and look at it and you say, well, it's not squished down very much. I think it's full. You know, every, every kid would run out to their bicycle and have a flat tire and you'd get the air pump. You'd squeeze the tire. Can I squeeze it? I think it's full enough. And that works if you're going to ride your bicycle around the neighborhood. How do you know when the tire's full? Well, you get the air pressure gauge. You get the thing that gives you the sign. You give the thing that, that tells you the evidence that you're at the right pressure. How do I know when I've been filled with the Holy Ghost? Well, I don't just wait for somebody to explode. That can be emotion. That may or may not be the Holy Ghost. We can tell when people don't have the Holy Ghost because they walk around deflated. It's pretty easy to, to recognize. What is the gauge? What is the measurement for when somebody has been filled with the Holy Ghost? We don't get to decide. Scripture has already told us what the measurement is and what the gauge is. When somebody is filled with His Spirit, the evidence is that the Spirit will cause them to speak in tongues as the Spirit gives them the utterance. This is how we know they've been filled with the Holy Ghost. There may be other ancillary signs that go along with it, like the tire's not flat anymore. They may start loving the people they hated before. But that could be the result of just good self-will and having been influenced by the external presence of God. But the definitive sign in Scripture is that they began to speak in other tongues. Jeremiah 31 and 33. I got some. All right, prove it, preacher. You've talked about it. Now prove it. Here we go. 
Jeremiah 31, 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts the will of their God and they shall be my people. When the Holy Ghost comes, he begins to write God's law upon our heart. Conviction or convictions. He begins to write upon our heart his spiritual expectations in our lives. He begins to call us and draw us nearer to him. Hebrews 10, 16 and 17 says, Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he has said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those, these days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. So God is not telling us, or back up, God is telling us that once his spirit comes, it's not about posting tablets of stone on a wall and us being accountable to the tablets of stone. Now, I do think the Ten Commandments still apply. Matter of fact, for what it's worth, our parenting tip is you break one of the Ten Commandments, you get punished. And I worked in our house. Look at the law of the land. It's pretty much based on the Ten Commandments. They still apply. But the execution of those laws, the practice of those laws, are no longer like the Pharisees who had laws upon the laws upon the laws upon procedure, upon execution procedure, upon procedure about how you're supposed to do it. God begins to write it upon my heart. How often should I pray? Every time God wants to talk to you. Well, how do I know when that is? When his spirit inside of you begins to draw you to a place of prayer? What if I never feel the calling to a place of prayer? Oh, I went there. Well, maybe we need to be refilled with the Holy Ghost. Back to the lesson. <clears throat> Acts 2. Verses 1 through 4 tells us about the culmination, the first time, the fulfillment of all of God's teachings and all of the prophets prophesying. It tells us that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, it means the expectation had come to full fruition. The time was there. They were all in one accord and in one place. There was unity among them. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They began to speak in a language that they didn't know, but they spoke that language by the utterance given to them by the Spirit. Does that make sense? Let's, I'm going to go a little bit deeper. I'm going to break that down. There are some 
Well, I've been naming names, so I'm going to go ahead and go there this week too. There's some charismatic-like churches that will bring you into a class. And they'll tell you, we're going to teach you how to speak in tongues. And they'll hand you a booklet. And they'll hand you a pamphlet. And they'll have all kinds of tongue-tied sentences in it. I'm not being sacrilegious. I'm just teaching a lesson today. But they'll have stuff in there like you tie your tie, I tie my tie. Say that real fast and you'll get the Holy Ghost. No, I think some will probably tie their tie if I say that real fast. You can't teach people how to speak in tongues. It's not a language that we know. It's not syllables that we make up and speak. It is the utterance which comes by the Spirit. It does not say that the Spirit grabs your jaw, opens it and closes it, grabs your tongue and forces it to contort and create syllable sounds. The Spirit does not grab your voice box and blow wind out of your lungs across it and make you say anything. I'm getting down in the real practicals. You with me? It is a spiritual thing. What is utterance? Utterance is the syllables that you say. What syllables should I say? You should say the syllables that the Holy Spirit is speaking through you and into you in that moment. Your wind out of your lungs going across your voice box with you flexing the muscles in your mouth and your jaw to move your tongue and to move your, to actuate, there's the good word, actuate your jaw in movement by the Spirit of God flowing through you. I know that's super practical. I'm not trying to insult anybody's intelligence today. I'm just blowing up some other sacred cows that are out there. God's Spirit moves on us and we begin to speak a language that we don't even know. There's been missionaries that have gone to the farthest corners of the world and there'd be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost and people living in this remote tribe began to praise God in perfect fluent English. They were being filled with the Holy Ghost. There's been missionaries from different countries and in different places and, and they go to a place where... where these people have no idea how to speak French. But they begin to be filled with the Holy Ghost and they're speaking praises to God in French. You say, preacher, you're way out there. Well, just keep reading Acts chapter 2. We're not going to read the whole chapter to you today. But the Bible says when they ended up in the street, they begin to look around and say, how do these Galileans speak my language? How do these people who are in this region speak my language and I'm from this other region? I've, I'm only here because I'm here to celebrate Passover. I'm only here in this city because I'm here to celebrate Pentecost, excuse me, not Passover. And 
I hear them speaking in my language. This is a supernatural moving of God. This is a supernatural experience. Acts chapter 2 and verse 12. And they were all amazed. Yeah, it's amazing when God fills somebody with the Holy Ghost. It's incredible. It's powerful. But the, the multitude says, and they were all amazed, and some were doubting, saying one to another, what means this? What does this mean? And others among them were mocking, saying, these are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. On their clock, that would be 9 o'clock in the morning. He's like, it's only 9 o'clock, man. We're not drunk. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see vision. And your old men shall dream dreams. You see, the outpouring of God's Spirit was more than just prophesying. It was visions and dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. What means this? What's going on? How is this happening? This is different. We've never seen this happen at the Feast of Pentecost or, in their words, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. We've never seen this when we've come together to celebrate Passover. Something different is happening among us. What is this? And Peter's response was, I don't know. Peter's response wasn't, well, I don't know. Let me, let me sit down. Let me, let me get together. Let's create an apostolic council of all, the, all of us in the upper room. And let's, let's write out a theological statement about what this is. Peter didn't get them together and say, we need to write a creed. He didn't consult the Pharisees and say, hey, you guys are good at writing religious documentation. Help us document what's going on here. Peter stood up under the anointing of the power of God's spirit which had just filled him. And with the authority God gave him when God said, I give you the keys to the kingdom. He began to preach the very first apostolic message that had ever been preached. And he said, this is that. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. This is the fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah. This is the fulfillment of the prophecies of all of our forefathers. This is the culmination of God's spirit coming to live inside of us. Joel 2, 28 and 29, I'll read it to us again. And it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon your servants and upon your handmaidens in those days I will pour out of my spirit. It's for the young. It's for the old. It's for the servant. It's for the handmaiden. It's for the master. I'm just using their language today. It's for everybody. There's no exclusion. There's no social class that excludes you from being filled with His Spirit. There's no social class that makes you too high to be filled with His Spirit. 
There's no economic status that says that you're beyond being filled with His Spirit. And there's no economic status that says you're below being filled with His Spirit. There's no cultural reference that makes you qualified or disqualified from being filled with His Spirit. There's no race, creed, nationality that exempts you or gives you privilege to being filled with His Spirit. If you're alive and you're breathing and you're hungry and you want the infilling of the Holy Ghost, all you've got to do is surrender to Him in those moments. Lift your hands towards heaven. Begin to praise God and let His Spirit fall upon you. And as He fills you, you'll begin to speak in an utterance given to you by the Spirit. This speaking in tongues is that the prophets told about, the outpouring of God's Spirit. You see, when the church began on the day of Pentecost, the disciples spoke in tongues. We just read it, Acts chapter 2. And the gospel moved beyond Jerusalem as they were commanded to do. And it went to Samaria. And there was one named Simon the sorcerer who was observing all that was going on among the Samaritans. This is Acts chapter 8. And he observed that the Samaritans received the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands and by prophesying, by speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 9 and verse 17 tells us Paul had the same experience. Ananias went to his house to pray for him to be healed and to receive the Holy Ghost. We know Paul received the Holy Ghost because he then said in his letters writing to the churches, I speak in tongues more than all of y'all. He was getting on them a little bit. There were other religious people, people who were doing all that they could to obey the law and to, and to obey the commandments of John the Baptist who had come along. But when they heard the gospel preached to them, they were rebaptized, and it says they spoke with tongues in Acts chapter 19. There is an undeniable scriptural linkage between the infilling of the Holy Ghost and the evidence of being filled with His Spirit. And the evidence isn't just the ancillary things of fruit and inflated tires and obvious expressions around us, but there is an expressed singular evidence in Scripture that one has been filled with His Spirit. And that evidence is that they began to speak in other tongues. And it was for more than just Jewish people or people of Jewish descent or people that were somehow associated with Jewish descent. Because Peter was on the roof. Simon Peter was on the roof at Simon the Tanner's house. I don't know if they had siestas. That's kind of a, that's a Spanish word. It's a siesta. In the middle of the day, he went to lay down and take a nap. He was troubled, for he had a dream that challenged his cultural norm. A sheep fell down from heaven, amongst, and on that sheet was all type of unclean animals, the things which Moses' law said you can't eat. And a voice of God said to him, take, eat. And as a good Religious, 
Christian observer? Peter said, no way. Ain't falling for that trick. I'm faithful to you, Lord. I'm not going to eat the unclean things. No, it's against my Jewish custom. It's against my Jewish heritage. It's against my Jewish upbringing. It's against the law of the patriarchs. It's even against the law of Moses. I refuse. I will not eat of the unclean. And he went through this a couple times. And the same voice that said unto him, eat, came back to him and said, don't call unclean what I have clean. And it was in this time frame, there's a knock on the door. Some messengers had been sent from a man named Cornelius. Cornelius, a leader, a Gentile, a leader of the military of the Gentiles, had sent messengers because he had had an experience with an angel. Time out, I'm going to stomp in the mud hole again. Just because you have religious spiritual experiences doesn't mean you fulfilled all of the gospel. If anybody could have qualified because of their religious experience, it probably would have been Cornelius. He was faithful. He paid his tithes. He gave alms. He was known as a good person. He was so good that he even got an angelic experience. Anybody here seen angels in person, personified, standing in front of you that literally talked to you and gave you directions? Anybody experienced that? Cornelius did. He probably would have qualified if good was good enough. But the angel told him, you go down and send your messengers to Simon the Tanner's house in Jaffa and ask for a guy named Simon Peter. Man, you've got to make sure you get the, 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 the instructions correct. Don't ask for Simon. Ask for Simon Peter at Simon the Tanner's house. As they knock and ask and make the request, Peter's coming out of his spiritual experience with God through a dream. And he's told there's Gentiles at the door that want you to come. And Simon Peter put it together. And they go to Cornelius' house. It's in Acts chapter 10. And Peter begins to preach to them the same message he preached to the Jewish people. And the Bible says, while he yet spake these words, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. And those of the circumcision were, ex were astonished. I'm in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, 45. Because that the Gentiles was also poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, how in the world did they know they got the Holy Ghost? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Speaking in tongues is not just a Jewish tradition. Speaking in tongues is not just a Jewish cultural experience. Speaking in tongues is a filled with the Holy Ghost for everybody experience. And I'm thankful that the gospel was brought to the Gentiles. I'm thankful that Cornelius' house surrendered to the word of God with such a hunger that the message didn't even end before his spirit was poured out on them. 
I'm coming to a close. Can I tell you today? You don't academically receive the Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You don't receive the Holy Ghost through your head. You receive the Holy Ghost through an undying hunger, an unsatisfied hunger in your heart. And that hunger is make me alive. I want to live. I want to draw nearer and closer in my relationship with God. That's the hunger that brings us to the fulfillment and the infilling of His Spirit. John chapter 7, 37 through 39. In the last days, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Not yet had the power of the Holy Ghost been poured out. But Jesus himself was already prophesying, there's coming a day. There's coming a time when those that are thirsty in their souls and thirsty in your spirit, you're going to find something more than religious practice. You're going to find something more than obedience to a Mosaic law. You're going to find something more than the Pharisaical procedures and execution of the law. You're going to find something that goes deeper than just the external experience and the emotion of life. You're going to find something that flows out of you like a river of living water. And I tell you today, that river is the infilling of His Spirit. Here at Life Spring Church, we say you never have to thirst again. That comes from John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Jesus is at the well. He's met a woman. They're having a conversation. And he answers her and says, Whoever drinketh of the water shall thirst. He's pointing to the well, I'm sure. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst. You can go to Walmart and get you a 24-pack pure life water. Whoever drinks of this, it won't take very long. You'll be thirsty again. But verse 14, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He didn't say you could go to the spring and swim in the water. He didn't say you could go to the pool and bathe in the water. He didn't say you could stand under the waterfall and fill it and it make a difference. He said, I will put inside of you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. It takes the infilling of His Spirit to make us alive in Him again. Would you stand with me this morning? I tell you today, I speak to you today with love and compassion, but I am, I am very impassioned about what I speak to you today. It's not by head knowledge, but it's by surrendering of the heart. You see, we didn't build our doctrine because of Pentecost. Pentecost didn't come because of what we believe. We believe 
what we believe because we experienced Pentecost. We didn't sit down and create a religion. The apostles didn't sit down and create a religion and say, all right, let's believe it. Let's be obedient to it. Let's execute it. And if we do our part in obedience to it, then we'll experience it. That's not how it worked. God taught them and they sought the experience. And because of what they experienced, they built their beliefs on it. It was not merely the preaching of the apostles that brought down the power of the Holy Ghost. Rather, it was men full of the Holy Ghost that spent their lives preaching, teaching, and inviting others to experience the same power that God was giving out. They were not merely Pentecostal apologists. They were not scriptural archaeologists. They were not academic scholars. They were just people hungry for the presence of God. Oh, if I could draw the picture today. Three and a half years, they lived on the substance that He provided for them. They lived at the the speaking of His every word. And in only ten days of His absence, there was such a hunger to be reunited with Him. Oh, I want to be alive in Him. I want to be reunited with Him. Let my spirit live in Him. Their souls were on fire. Not because of creeds. But because of an experience. Not because of church father or man written doctrines had come to change their life but because the words of God manifested in flesh changed them being in his presence created a craving inside of them that nothing else could quench and I tell you today every moment you sit in Live Spring Church and every song that we sing in His presence comes down and every message that's preached and His word goes out I'm praying and I'm asking God let it create a craving let it create a craving let it create a hunger let it create a desire that draws me beyond where I am yes we give lots of knowledge here I'm a, I, I'm, my gifting is probably teaching not probably my gifting is teaching I'm probably not the greatest evangelistic preacher there ever was. I'm not. And we're, we're heavy on truth here today at Life Spring Church. But I love His Spirit. I love the moving of His Spirit. I love the flowing of His Spirit. And my teaching will not fill you with the Holy Ghost, but only a hunger that pushes beyond pride, that pushes beyond expectations of our human nature, that says, Lord, I want you. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.